Hello, Lunchtime Movie Review listeners. You are about to listen to one of the classic episodes of Lunchtime Movie Review, our review of 1984's Johnny Dangerously, starring Michael Keaton and Joe Piscopo. This was originally reviewed back on April 18th, 2012 by Matt, Randy, Bob, and myself, and obviously is very dated because we talk about what happened to Michael Keaton well before his return success of Birdman that just was released last year. Much to the joy of both Matt and Randy, who are both Michael Keaton fans. So sit back and listen to our review of Johnny Dangerously. You're listening to Lunchtime Movie Review from LunchtimeMovieReview.com, and we are the children of the 80s. Over my undies trimmed in lace, I slip on my black silk disgrace. Cut so low, they'll raid the place. I want to dress dangerously. I need to be reckless. I need to be daring. I need to take chances and tempt my fate. I need to be foolish. Need to be crazy before it's too late. And I'm out of date. The children of the 80s are back for another review from 1984. I'm Matt. I'm Patrick. I'm Randy. Hey, and I'm the new guy, Bob. Hey, Bob. Hey, how's it going? Did you see the movie? I did. All right, you're in. Yeah, perfect. Already a plus over Chris on any given week. <laughs> <laughs> this week we're bringing Johnny Dangerously, classic from Michael Keaton. But first, I say a classic like it's a f-ing classic. <laughs> But first, <laughs> what is not a classic, Matt? I really want to know. You that that bar for classic has got to be really fucking low. Bro, if it came out in the eighties, it's a classic. <laughs> uh, before we get into our review, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Maroni's online diction courses. Tired of butchering the English language? Bored with having to flip people off in order to get your point across? Order Maroni. Maroni's online diction course and turn your Fargan ice hole cork soaking bastages into fucking asshole cock sucking bastards. Maroni's online diction course is a subsidiary of Pal Speech Therapy Incorporated. All rights reserved. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Johnny Dangerously. Hey, I know you. You're from Saturday Night Live. You're Joe Pittman. I'm Danny Berman. This chump was going to show you some previews for a new gangster movie called Johnny Dangerously. Check this out. Does this jerk look like a real gangster to you? He looks like Michael Keaton to me. I love Johnny T-shirts. I love Johnny. Believe it or not, everybody loves this guy. Broads love him. I'm not wearing a bra, Johnny. That makes two of us. Oh, you gotta watch your head left, Ma. His mother loves him. I love him, but someday I'm gonna knock him on his. We should spend some time together. The DA loves him. See, two weeks in Puerto Rico. You got fire. Bird. The new torch singer loves him. You got those. I like those animals. Little babies love him. Oh, wait. The warden loves him. Johnny, it's an honor to have you on Guff Road. Ah, don't be silly. Pleasure's all mine. The year, sometime in the 30s. Location, New York City. Topic, crime. Two rival gangs compete for the whoring, loan sharking, and shady nightclub businesses in New York City. One gang is led by a butter and egg man who goes by the name of Roman Troy Maroney. The other gang is led by that Fargan asshole. Jaco Dundee, played by Ray Romano's dad. 
whose gang should we root for? Well, this is 1980s Hollywood, so clearly white is right and ethnic is wrong. Jocko Dundee's gang is your only choice. Teenager Johnny Kelly is in need of paying his carpet-munching mother's rising medical bills. Johnny, tired of being on the nut, accepts a job offer from Jocko and begins a life of crime. He quickly demonstrates Batman-like skills with his resilience, charm, and wit. He quickly rises to the ranks as Jocko's right-hand man and becomes the notorious gangster, Johnny Dangerously. Jocko's afraid of being fitted for a Chicago overcoat after a bathroom explosion nearly ends his days. He decides to retire from the life as the big cheese and leaves Johnny in charge. Johnny also lands himself his own personal canary, a dame by the name of Lil. This Sheba is abroad with class, with emphasis on the ass. The kind of girl who's used to getting out of a Rolls Royce, not a taxi. She's the bee's knees, and she brings Johnny to his after getting on hers. Crime pays for Johnny. He's able to take care of his mother, put his little brother Tommy through law school, and still has enough time in the day to snag oodles and oodles of poontang. The plot thickens when Johnny's virgin's brother, who has committed his life to stamping out crime, joins the DA's office. Tommy quickly deports Johnny's nemesis, Maroney, for the crime of butchering the English language. With only one gang controlling New York, Tommy unwittingly takes on his own brother, putting Johnny behind the eight ball. Meanwhile, a pre-steroided Joe Piscopo tries to take over Johnny's gang from the inside. Piscopo plays Danny Vermin, a mug who gets his jollies by grabbing his gun and squirting metal. Vermin has had a beef with Johnny since when they were kids and has dreams of being the big man. After some pretty hilarious one-liners, sight gags, and jokes full of sex and testicles, Johnny decides to go legit. The what? Legit. <laughs> Vermin, however, has apparently started his first cycle. In a fit of roid rage, the likes of which had only previously been seen in the squared circle, Joe Poe turns murderous, framing Johnny in the process. Johnny is sent to the big house to fry. With Johnny playing Patsy for a crime he didn't commit, Piscopo then turns his sights on the new DA, Tommy Kelly, and Johnny squeeze Lil. Johnny's able to break out of jail to save his brother and go legit as the owner of a local pet shop. The moral of the story? Innuendo and crude humor is still hilarious, and crime doesn't pay, but it gets you some poonanny. And isn't that all that matters? Well, crime also pays a little. That's Johnny Dangerously. Do you need a second to transition out of that character? Or? <laughs> that was, and scene. And scene. That was my uh, 1920s uh, news guy voice. Johnny breaks out to save his brother. <laughs> <laughs> Say that, mister. Johnny Dangerously, 1984. When, what month did this come out? came out December 21st of 1984, so this was a big Christmas movie at the time. Uh, it was released wow. the same day as other holiday favorites, such as Breaking 2, Electric Boogaloo, Protocol, <laughs> Mickey and Maude, and The Flamingo Kid. Also released the same month as 2010, Beverly Hills Cop, City Heat, Dune, Runaway, and Starman. So not a freaking Christmas film to be found in December of 1984. <laughs> it grossed uh, just over $17 million. It was the 60th highest grossing film of, the, of 1984. Right behind Blame It on Rio, Lassiter with Tom Selleck, and Angel. And right in front of Firestarter, Beat Street, and Break Into Electric Boogaloo. Wow, Beat Street and Electric Boogaloo. Yeah. Right there, uh, running neck and Yeah, 62 and, and 63. Can't ex- that kind of explains why there was no break in three. Wasn't Firestarter with uh, Drew Barrymore, Drew Barrymore. Like, yeah. starting fires with her eyes or something? Yes. Hair flying up, yeah. Stephen, Stephen King. 
I thought that would have done better than 60-something. It, it was based off a Stephen King book. They generally all sucked. <laughs> I mean, the books are good. The films all suck. That's what I'd be. But the, the book's very, very good. The films all shitty, shitty, shitty. Uh, so the Flamingo Kid, and there's there's this debate, it seems like, it uh, between Red Dawn, Flamingo Kid, Dreamscape, and, and this one apparently, where they, they say these are all kind of the the advent of the of the PG-13. So this was at least one of the first films, along with those other ones I just mentioned, uh, to get a PG-13 rating. Yeah. Was it because of the cartoon testicles with hair? Is that what put it over the top, or was it the almost cussing? <laughs> The almost what? The almost cussing, Fargan ice hole. You know, it probably more than anything else is uh, you know, kind of the homosexual references made by Johnny's mother throughout the whole film. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, was, I was surprised at how clean, at least language wise, other than the Maroney who's doing the, the Fargan ice hole. And- you lousy corksuckers. You have violated my Fargan rights. This Samanambaching country was founded so that the liberties of common patriotic citizens like me could not be taken away by a bunch of Fargan ice holes like yourselves. Thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, they, the way that... I mean, that's one something I even liked when I saw this, and I saw this one actually in the theaters. Is that wow? It was it. Yeah, I paid money for it. Can you believe it? <laughs> were so, you were you thirteen years old? Or no, I was twelve. <laughs> I was twelve, <laughs> so I was there, and I don't remember my parents being there. So uh, the theaters were not yeah. really strict. PG thirteen. I don't think they understood that. Yeah. So dude, we were getting into R-rated movies without even trying. Yeah, I don't ever remember being blocked from seeing any movie at any time when I grew up. But I remember seeing this and at the time thinking, well, how are they getting away from, with all this, uh, the cussing? But it's all it is is they change the word, so it sounds like it, but it's not actually there. Uh, and there, are, there is sex kind of innuendo or, and exuendo <laughs> in, in some cases, but the, the topic is, a, is adult, so I guess that's the, the cause for the PG-13 rating but it wouldn't shock me if this one would have been pg back in the day this is this equivalent or the same as like airplane the humor of it there's a lot of sexual references um the language is fairly clean and it would have i think that the ratings board would have thrown it over there because it's very similar in that kind of tone um yeah and even the it's a gangster movie and there's violence but even the violence is cartoony violence yeah i mean you don't i don't remember anybody yeah i don't remember anybody even really getting killed the explosions, apparently, explosions in this universe uh, only make you, you know, face black. <laughs> right? <laughs> no, it is. It's very uh, Acme Incorporated uh, type explosion. Well, that was part of the problem. Is uh, I don't remember one of you called it spoof light, and I think it was spoof full because nobody dies. Everything's just kind of rolling along, and it's goofy and. I don't. I don't know what what was the serious or non spoof part of the movie because the whole thing was just kind of this goofy sketch rolled out into a movie. I, I see what you mean about it being, or you were saying earlier, I guess when we were talking before that it never really didn't know what it wanted to be. Is that is that right, Bob? Right, and and it could be that I I never saw this movie, really didn't hear about it much. Uh, just I don't know how I passed it up, but 
you know, some other movies from the eighties that are, are spoof like that are, you know, near and dear to my heart because as a kid I watched them a bazillion times. And you guys can just reserve judgment when I name these names. Uh, Top Secret and Spaceballs. Um, these are two classic spoof movies from, you know, my growing up in the eighties. But this one, Johnny Dangerously, is just like nowhere even close to those, both in how much it made me laugh and it. In, in its spoofiness, so I don't know where that leaves me, but I, I think I'm the Debbie Downer of the group this time. Yeah. Well, I love Top Secret, I love Spaceballs, and I freaking love Johnny Dangerously. Yeah. So suck it, Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Bob, thank Fine. you for being on the show. We'll see you uh, maybe <laughs> if we review one of those shows. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I I do think that Spaceballs and uh, Top Secret were better than Johnny thank Dangerously, you. but. I kind of saw it as is more kitschy than than anything, and it did have kind of a like a Saturday Night Live skit extended, really long feel to it as well. Which is kind of interesting because who was involved uh, with this specifically? The director. Well, there was Amy Heckerling, who previous to this had the only film she directed was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. This is such a drastic departure from that. You know, her career after this. Um, somewhat struggles that she does after this she does European Vacation uh, without a doubt I think probably the worst of the vacation films (laughs) she follows that with Look Who's Talking and then Look Who's Talking 2 and then takes a break for a while and then she comes back with Clueless which would probably be not in my mind but one of the better you know teen comedies of the 1990s Oh, you said Clueless? I was thinking Clue. Uh, Clue. (laughs) I like Clue. What are you talking about a teen comedy, you (laughs) moron? So, Bob, you you, you didn't watch this as a kid at all, and you hadn't even heard of it before you watched it, but please tell me you've heard somebody say, don't be such a Fargan icehole, or say Bastage. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Bastage, I've heard that a lot growing up because I had a, a nice, you know, cultured, uh, curated, <laughs> good kid growing up experience. So, bastage was like the cool thing to say because you didn't, you couldn't say bastard. You weren't allowed to, and I never knew where that came from, other than just being like the the darn of damn or whatever. And uh, I guess now I know. Is this is this the origin of bastage? I've, I think it is, man. Yeah. And Fargin ice hole for yeah. sure. Yeah, well, Fargin ice hole. I didn't use Fargin ice hole growing up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you should start. Yes. <laughs> the one thing that uh, I guess I always give this film a, a pass, or I start by giving this a, a pass, because I am a huge Michael Keaton fan. I love Michael Keaton in, in uh, almost every everything he's in. I do like, uh, you know, I liked Mr. Mom as a kid, even though it's not really a kid movie. I get it. But I liked that one. <clears throat> Obviously, Beetlejuice, uh, which is after this. But, but what else did he do prior to this other than Mr. Mom. He'd done Night Shift, which was his breakout role uh, for Ron Howard. And, I mean, Mr. Mom was kind of his first leading role, but this was supposed to be the uh, clincher that makes him the strong leading man. It just kind of wasn't. Yeah, no, and I remember seeing Night Shift as a, as a kid as well. Uh, it's Henry Winkler, Shelley Long, the prostitute movie. Apparently, I had horrible parents growing up that just let me yeah. watch whatever. <laughs> Yeah, like the opposite right. of me. I was just going to say, I, I knew which movies I could go to. PG-13 ratings meant something until I turned the right age, and then 
you know, I, I wouldn't want to see half these movies with my parents there anyway, so that's probably why I didn't see them at all. Or I, had, I ended up seeing them at like a party that I then had to lie and said I saw something else. So, right. see, see, that's weird because I watched Night Shift with my dad because I said, hey, oh I, I want to see the Fonzie movie. So we stayed up one night when it was late on HBO and watched Night Shift. I don't think I even understood what a prostitute was at the time. So. Well, in fairness, it's Shelley. Uh, it's it's Shelley Long. Shelley Long. Who would pay <laughs> yeah. for that? No. Mm, I yeah, I, as a kid, I, uh, I remember seeing the movie, what's that one with Teen Wolf, Teen Wolf. I watched Teen Wolf with my dad, and I remember there's like one scene where somebody got into a bra and panties or something, and he's like, "Close your eyes." And then I asked, the, "Like, well, why can you watch it?" Like, and, because it's a teenager, I think it's hot. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was always very confused. <laughs> well, I think one of the the main reasons that this movie had some legs uh, was because it was on the HBO loop. Like just nonstop. That's that's actually how I saw it because I was like Bob. I grew up in a very strict religious home, and and we weren't allowed to watch certain movies. Although, well, I was ten when this movie came out, so I wasn't. My mom did have a strict. She did not let me see PG thirteen until I turned thirteen. But I was. Uh, I spent a summer uh, at my sister's house uh, helping watch her kids when I I was in high school, and that's this. I watched this movie probably like four or five times. Because HBO just kept running it over and over, and I loved it. So that's how I saw it was HBO. And I remember, I do remember as a kid though, kind of uh, being somewhat titillated by this film, even though it's not, uh, it's certainly not dirty and doesn't have any nudity other than the, the bare ass of the one dude. But uh, the, the the scenes of the, the Johnny's uh, little girls that that he's got in his, I say little girls, his the girls that he has in his in his. Uh, the girls in Johnny's house, who's very scantily clad, and then the scene where uh, the, the Danny DeVito character showing Tommy what he could, what he did have in the diamond bikini. I remember that being uh, for a young ten-year-old was uh, was very hot. Oh, I thought the part that was the hottest was Betty Boop uh, rubbing her butt up against the guy, the testicle man. <laughs> that oh, that was hot. Oh. That was confusing. <laughs> like, is that a walking penis? Was there or- <laughs> Apparently there was a malt liquor commercial where a bull charges into a building every time you have it. That yeah. was a dated that was an extremely dated gag that was weak. This character gets killed. I made a different connection, you know, and this is just me stretching it because I was like, is that like anything to do with the godfather and a horse head in the bed but it's a bowl in a restaurant how is this connected it didn't, yeah. <laughs> it's no, not because the the, uh, the the headline that they put up is is that the da was killed by a commercial so that was oh. kind of your your clue that that was uh-huh. a that was a, a gag on a it was probably a really popular commercial in 84 yeah you also have uh the love interest mary lou henner who of taxi fame but, but I can't think of her in really any other movies. What else had she done, or either before or after this, as far as film? She, um, she'd primarily done Taxi. She had had a small role in The Man Who Loved Women with Burt Reynolds, and then she did Cannonball Run 2 with Burt Reynolds. So, um, And then she went on to do Evening Shade with Burt Reynolds later in the 80s. So I think there's a theme there. That- <laughs> <laughs> so so do, we, do we call her 80s hot? I thought she I was hot. At the, yeah, I thought she was hot at the time. I thought she was sultry, and uh, and she she actually looked like she was from the 30s, right? Um, you know, 
Yeah, she actually, wasn't like uh, uber skinny like you know more modern women would be. Yeah, I actually thought the same thing. I thought she there's no way she would be a leading lady today, but in watching it, I thought you know it works. She's she's kind of hot. I think she it works. See, we're we're not always hating on women. Listeners. No, no. <laughs> yes, all our female listeners out there, we would do her. That's a <laughs> <laughs> not today, but back then. Oh, not today. Back when I was twelve, I'd do her in a second. The one thing I did like, though, and I, I watched it as a kid, like I said, and I, there are scenes that I remember. I remember the uh, the elephant Titus of the nut scene. What, what, what did you think of that as a kid? <laughs> I remember being. I remember thinking it was really funny with the guys kind of walking with these huge balls. Um, <laughs> so I didn't get it. So I thought you got big balls because you didn't have sex, you know, blue balls. But apparently, this film was trying to teach you that if you do have sex, you get big balls and they pop. They'll eventually pop. <laughs> but I remember that. I remember the farging ice hole stuff, and I remember the Joe Piscopo character, which really is not funny at all. That guy. That guy just demonstrates how unfunny he he really is. Well, he was one-dimensional as a character. You know, as a, as a kid, I remember obviously his little catchphrase is, you know, you know, somebody did something to me once, once, and it was really funny at the time. But as an adult, that's like, okay, that was that's not even funny the second time in the film. Oh, no, so played out. It's just, well, it's just it, yeah, and it did that in a couple other scenes that could have been funny, like. I actually thought the nodding scene at, at the beginning when, you know, they enter the casino or whatever and there's just a bunch of gangsters that continually nod back and forth and the camera keeps panning. I thought it was hilarious. They should have just left it alone. But then the, the last person to wrap up the scene says, quit nodding. Just like so blatantly, like it sort of ruined it for Killed me. It would have been a funnier it. bit. If it, yeah. But the, the gags or the, the, the things that I found so funny were these little one-liners that were just throwaway lines that you would otherwise miss. And I did miss as a kid, and pro- partially because I probably didn't get it. And usually you're surrounded uh, one of the old uh, old hags being really dirty. Yeah, yeah they're all, all being really <laughs> like dirty. Like old yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I the, think- the mom... Uh, <laughs> You've got to be like a daughter to me, and I want to share something with you. Oh, what's that, Mom Kelly? I go both ways. Oh. It's just really disturbing to see, uh, oh gosh, what's that actress's name? Uh, Maureen Stapleton. Maureen Stapleton, <laughs> pulling that line off. And then the uh, cleaning lady talking about running a train on uh, Joe Piscopo <laughs> and, his, uh, and his buddy. Hiya, doll. What's your name? Mary Margaret Catherine Deneen. How'd you like to make some money? One at a time or both of you together. Sorry, that was probably... Yeah, that line with the the cleaning lady was probably the only gag that I did not distinctly remember and caught me off guard and caused me to laugh out loud. That it's just... I, I would say that it was for me it was about a sixty forty. Like like I think it was Patrick said they just kinda threw a bunch of gags up against the wall and see what stuck. I thought about sixty percent of them for me I thought were funny and forty percent were lame, like but not strong enough to carry the movie. Yeah, Michael Keaton is he's just fun. <laughs> I, I just love his delivery. Look, I like Michael Keaton. He's a I, he's an underappreciated actor. Go watch Much Ado About Nothing. And you're gonna watch oh, yeah. 
you're going to watch some really good uh, acting with Kenneth Branagh, even Denzel Washington. You're going to be able to see how uh, you're, you're going to be able to really juxtapose good acting because Keanu, Keanu's the fuck out of oh. the movie more than anything else. Oh, yeah. But Michael Keaton God. as the drunk absolutely steals that show for me, and he he demonstrates how good of an actor he is. So what's happened to him? I mean. Is he just got he just got out of style or he got old? Is, did he choose Did he choose to to walk away or Do you know anything about that, Patrick? Uh, he no. went the way of Gutenberg. Yeah, he just he just got old, and audiences moved on to other people, younger people, and he hasn't been able to keep up with. I mean, he tried to redefine himself. The '80s, he was a comedy actor. It wasn't until the late '80s with Clean and Sober and Batman that he kind of broke out of that and started doing other things. But he never really, other than the Batman movies, he never really had anything that was a big box office hit as in drama. And he's never really returned to comedy in that way. He's had small parts and things, and you know, and they they keep saying they're going to make a Beetle, a second Beetlejuice. And you know, I guess he could, you know, if that hits well, then it might relaunch his career. But he's he's just he's just never been able to latch on. And I don't know. I, if it, I thought he. I, I heard uh, notoriously that he turned down Batman because he didn't want to be typecast and, you know, thought he could do better on his own, and I guess it's debatable. I, I respect him for that, I suppose, um, but at the same time, that was a good gig for him, so, I don't know. Well, supposedly he was going to be in that third Batman movie that, was it Val Kilmer did the third one? Batman? It was, uh, it was, it was not, right? Batman Forever? And it was, uh, Tim Burton was supposed to direct, and then Tim Burton wanted to go do different projects, and wasn't going to direct, and then, you know, he was heavily involved, and after Tim Burton left, he decided he was going to leave, too, and go do something else, so I don't I don't think he, like, walked away with away, away from it saying, like, fuck you guys, I, I want to do something else. I think it was, hey, my friend is not going to do it, so I'm not going to do it. Huh. Well, he wasn't, I just saw him in, uh, it's just on cable the other day, with the, the other guys, with Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg, and he plays the, the chief or the sergeant or whatever, and he's actually really good in that kind of coming back to comedy it's not a big role by any means but uh you know i i, I definitely think he should be he should be working because i think he's pretty great enough of my love affair uh, with uh, michael keaton <laughs> do you guys do you guys think this movie successfully spoofed uh gangster movies at all we haven't even really talked about what it's spoofing but it's you know it's spoofing gangster movies i thought they were spoofing a genre of film that was not even in vogue at the time that you know, if, if it's been made in the 1950s when J uh, James Cagney was making all his, you know, crime dramas and stuff like that, yeah, it would have been a spoof. But, you know, it was, it's coming, you know, there hadn't been a, a, that I could even think of that off the top of my head, other than Touchables, which came out after this, um, a, a, you know, and kind it, of. When Touchables wasn't that kind of a movie, it, you're right, this is spoofing James Cagney movies, and James Cagney movies. We're long out of the consciousness, <laughs> right? Well, but as yeah, but as you even said, like they're referencing a beer commercial in the film, you know, dating the film, and that is not. I don't think they're even spoofing the James Cagney movies. They're just spoofing that genre, but they're not even taking stuff from that and then putting a, a comedic twist on it. They're just let's write this bizarre scene and we're going to have it a bull coming through the window. Uh, these guys escaping from prison and then pulling. Uh, shelf paper off the car, you know that. I mean, that's that's yeah. th that's kind of just it, it's just ridiculous. We're ridiculous. All right, I granted it was no Bugsy Malone. <laughs> no, they that's didn't a, sing. That's a deep cut right there, man. 
We may have to just go back to 76 <laughs> to review Bugsy Malone. Well, let's, uh, let's break this down and uh, see what the final review of Johnny D is. Bob, what you got? Uh, I'm going to say, I don't know how you guys do this, but I'll just do it my own way. Two out of five stars. <laughs> <laughs> we usually go stands the test of time or does not. Oh, no, it does time. not. It does not stand the test of time. It's not... It's not horrible. It, it, that's why I give it the second star. It had some funny uh, gags here and there, some good laughs, but out of 90 minutes or however long it was, better not have been longer than that. Uh, there was only about 10 minutes that was uh, worth my time. So you now doesn't stand the test of time. Yeah, it was. It was only. It was right at 90 minutes actually, with with credits and everything. So it's a pretty short film. Yeah. All right, Randy. It might have just been my fondness for. Uh being able to watch HBO that wonderful summer when I was 16 <laughs> or my fondness I'm like Matt I'm just a huge Michael Keaton fan I, I want more of him I miss him on the, on the scene because um, <laughs> I just I just love that man no. <laughs> no I love Michael Keaton I love his delivery um, but well and and I, I liked the movie watching it it was it was a hell of a lot better than strange brew and uh, what was the other crap? Crap fest. What was the other crap? I'm, I'm going by the movies I've reviewed that are just. Uh, can't even remember. Uh, oh yeah, best of times. Oh, yeah, way better than those. Oh wait, we bring you um, on. We can't find anybody else who wants to watch the fucking movie. That's exactly. I, I am. I am the emergency bottom of the barrel guy. Like, but like I said More before, I thought Andy really. I I thought the 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 banter, and the gags. Put together, I thought more than more of them were funny than were not. Um, some of them were really just stupid, uh, and but overall, I thought it was enjoyable. But I don't know. Stands the test of time. What's 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 in the? It doesn't stand the test of time. It's kind of black and white dichotomy there. It's somewhere in the middle. Yeah, you're gonna have to pick one, dude. <laughs> <laughs> God. All right. Stands the test of time because Michael Woo! Keaton is time. Michael Keaton is timeless. Wow. That's right. This and Jack Frost. <laughs> I never saw that one. Oh, Patrick. Um, I love this movie when I was a kid. I, rem I As I said, I saw it. I remember seeing it in the theaters. Um, I thought it was hilarious. It was, when it came on the HBO loop, I watched it over and over again. I probably have not seen this uh, probably since the late 80s, maybe even mid-80s. I think it's uh, it's a little dated. I don't... I don't think it stands the test of time. Most of the gags, I think, are really played out, and it, it, it suffers from wanting to be something like Airplane, possibly like Spaceballs or Top Secret, although I don't put them up there at the same level as Airplane. It never quite gets there. I agree with Matt that the Joe Piscopo character is very one-dimensional, and he's a terrible actor, and he just does not carry off the role very well. I do like Michael Keaton. I liked Michael Keaton in the 80s, too. Apparently not as much as other people on the podcast, <laughs> but I can't wait for the Michael Keaton sex tape. That's why I think he's great. <laughs> so, Next week, Mr. Mom. So, week after that, Batman. So, but, um, no, I don't think it stands the test of time. It was a little bit of a, a labor to get through it. Um, I remember the story well enough that I was kind of like, eh, Let's kind of get to it, but at the end, uh, there was only a couple things that I still laugh at, um, and so, yeah, doesn't stand the test of time. 
All right. I was surprised at how much I did like it. I actually expected to like it a lot less than I did. I loved it as a kid, um, and I still found it very, very entertaining. Um, Michael Keaton's on screen probably 80% of the time, and just like Beetlejuice, he does have a presence uh, in this film. Um, except he's on it for a heck of a lot more than he is in Beetlejuice. So uh, I actually really I laughed a number of times uh, out loud at times when I didn't things that I didn't remember. I thought the one-liners were funny. I think it's an underappreciated little film that people should uh, check out every once in a while. I think it's uh, I think it's worth seeing, and I do think it stands uh, stands the test of time. Although flawed, I grant you all, I still had a good time and found it very entertaining for ninety minutes. So what do you guys do for a tiebreaker when when you got two and two like that? Because then the the world is just going to know that it's like a lukewarm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Okay. That's a controversy, Bob. That's yeah. uh, what we're all about. Not all not all life's mysteries can be solved for us. So. <laughs> Fortunately, people- we realized that our opinions really are. They don't, just shit, so. they don't, they don't <laughs> shape like culture and society at, at large. Oh. Not yet. Not not till IFC starts calling. Right. <laughs> so join us next week when we review another one of Randy's favorites, Howard the Duck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I think we are, are going to actually let Randy pick whatever in the world he wants, and we will watch it as long as it's not uh, Cloak and Dagger or something. For testicles and you. Take a good look. These are the unlucky ones. These unfortunate souls are suffering from ESS, enlarged scrotum syndrome. Here at the Atlanta Genital Institute, teams of doctors are at work around the clock to cure this dreaded affliction. Hi, I'm Dr. Zillman, and I'd like to talk to you about your testes. The human testicle is not unlike a balloon. Sometimes it is empty. And sometimes it is full. And sometimes maybe this will help you understand. Just remember that your testicles, when treated with love and care, will give you years of maintenance-free service. But if abused, well... Inevitable conclusion. So next time, do the smart thing. Don't let anything come between your testicles and you. Thank you. So there is a new poll up to see what film you'd like reviewed in July. Go to the webpage at lunchtimemoviereview.com and send us an email at comments at lunchtimemoviereview.com. We're getting out of here right now, and you guys are invited. Pork soaker. I eat filet mignon seven times a day, but bathtub's filled with Perrier. What can I say? This is a life. I buy a dozen cars when I'm in the mood. I hire somebody to chew my food. I'm an upwardly mobile dude. This is a life. They say that money corrupts you, but I can't really tell. I got the whole world at my feet, and I think it's pretty swell. I got women lined up outside my this podcast is not endorsed by 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Johnny Dangerously, all names and sounds of Johnny Dangerously characters, and any other Johnny Dangerously related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of 20th Century Fox Home Entertainment. 
or their respective trademark and or copyright holders. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Lunchtime Movie Review, Movie House Memories, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment, LLC, unless otherwise noted.